come on in, folks. Let me buy you a photon fizzle, you mother-scugging mud-scuffers. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. I love Star Wars. It gives me new swear words all the time. Scugging. Mud-scuffers. Amazing stuff. Anyway, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to our latest Mandalorian spoiler special. Uh, We are recording this remotely this week. Uh, Not in the studio because of, well, everyone's on strike, basically. And we fully stand behind them. Stick it to the man. Fight the power, etc, etc, etc. But we are here uh, remotely to talk about The Mandalorian Chapter 19, The Convert. Written by John Favs Favreau and who the fuck is Noah Clure? And directed by, genuinely, who is this guy, Noah Clure, who co-wrote the episode? Um, let's find out about him. And directed by Lee Isaac Chung, the director of Meanery. Now, that is a flex and a half. And uh, joining me to talk about this episode are my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Sophie Butcher is here. Hello, Sophie. Hello, hello. Tongues days, am I right? Is that oh, what they said? <laughs> I mean... The Star Wars Garfield. <laughs> I hate tongues days. Uh, is this a first reference <laughs> to a day of the week in Star Wars? I think it might be. I think it might be. Uh, let's see. Let's bring in one of our Star Wars encyclopedias. Uh, he is unmuted at the moment because he's eating. He's going to unmute himself in a second. He is, of course, James Dyer. Hello, James. Hello, Christopher. Is this the first time a day of the week has been referenced in Star Wars? You ask a good question. I can't think of another occasion. But I could be wrong. I have not been. Uh, I have not been looking out for them. Well, I'm glad I asked you. <laughs> yeah, in that case, I'm all about the specifics. I am very, very glad I asked you. Hey, I noticed something else interesting about this this week's episode, which we're always going to get to in in due course. I was looking at the uh, the um, the credits with a with with a fine tooth. I was going through the credits with a fine tooth comb, with a forensic eye, with a magnifying glass, because basically one of um, the parents of a child who's in little drinking games class at school worked on the Mandalorian. I'm not going to say in which capacity, uh, but I was looking for their name and I found it. So well done to that person. Um, it's not Joe Favreau, in case you're wondering. Uh, but I noticed that one of the visual effects coordinators, I've never noticed this before, if you guys noticed this, is Jet Lucas. None other than George Lucas's son. Really? Yes. Jet never Lucas, J-E-T-T. Jet He's now 30 years old. Jet Lucas, one of the visual effects coordinators on uh, on a show that is absolutely indebted to his dad. That must Nepo be baby. weird. <laughs> Nepo Baby's my favorite Nepo character Nepo from Attack of the Clones. Nepopopy. I am Nepopopy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there you go. Just pointed out. Jet Lucas, uh, one of the visual effects coordinators. Very, very exciting indeed. Must be so weird for him, though. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the episode of uh, Mando, or should I say Mandor? Mandor. Because this felt mm. a little bit more like Andor than any episode of The Mandalorian has before. I'm sure this wasn't in reaction to to Andor because they produced roughly the same time, etc., 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 but nevertheless, it was an interesting episode. It also struck me that it must be some kind of rule now that the third episode in any season in which Pedro Pascal is guiding an incredibly important child to safety must focus on supporting characters <laughs> who've come out of nowhere <laughs> rather than Pedro Pascal and the incredibly important child. 
Yeah. I refer, of course, to The Last of Us's seminal third episode, which I have read about on the internet. (laughs) Was the Wikipedia entry for that everything you dreamed it would be? The Wikipedia entry for that is, there's nothing in it. There's nothing on The Last of Us at all. Yeah. Very moving indeed. I'm looking forward to starting that. But uh, now that I have some time, I've got some time because I've watched um, all of Andor now. You did, so I'm yes. good. Yeah. You are now a standor. I am a st- I'm, I am a standor. Or a fan. Uh, you know, whichever you like. But I'm also, I'm also a standalorian. I, I, I still love this show. I think the show is, is very, very core Star Wars in many, many ways. Uh, but this episode was a bit of an interesting flex. Mm. What did we think about it? Did we think it was entirely successful? Yes, definitely. As we've said, it's big Andor vibes, and that's probably why I liked it because I really loved Andor. Um, yeah, I do. I don't always love when things cut away to supporting characters because I feel like I didn't always love it with The Last of Us. Funnily enough, it feels like it takes you out of the story a little bit. Um, but I loved the bookends with Mando and Bo, and I thought that the central story was really, really interesting. Um, really well directed by Lee Isaac Chung, and just very interesting characters. Um, it was really great to see Katie O'Brien again. Um, he was obviously previously in the series and was in Ant-Man uh, yes. weeks ago. Um, she was giving real sort of Denise Goff energy in this, I thought, uh, which was interesting. And it was just, it, I liked how it kind of got into what starting a new republic looks like and the sort of amnesty... Um, situation and but sort of how one regime was kind of being replaced with another and it felt like Andor but from like the baddies view almost like they were the ones that were doing the heist rather than like the the rebels so yeah I, I really liked it it was um, we the a bit of a tone shift yeah <laughs> are we the baddies mm. <laughs> um, yeah so I, I was really keen really good one Jimbo, what about you? Did you did you think that this this, this worked? This very long, talky episode that took us away from the main action and from the main characters and Grogu gets literally fuck all to do in this episode. So <laughs> no, he gets he gets mm. to close his little pod and hide. He did do that. Yeah. I think that's the one thing that kept Ben clinging on. I, listen, I'm sure Ben loved this this week's episode, but you know, it's easy for me to say that Ben is inconsolable because it wasn't a big standout <laughs> Grogu moment th- this week. Uh, but yeah, did you did you think this worked? I mean, I I liked this episode, but I can't say that's one I'm going to be rushing back to revisit. It's it's a, it's an interesting episode because it starts with I would say the best opening of any episode of The Mandalorian we've seen so far, which is that kind of Top Gun Maverick sequence with the dogfight, which is absolutely wild. Like it's brilliantly shot. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. First of all, it's very nice to have an hour-long Star War to greet you on a Wednesday morning. But True, uh, although when your workload is as heavy as mine, <laughs> I have to say when I, I you know, when I had logged on this morning and I looked at Disney Plus and I was like, I don't really have a lot of time. I've got so much to do today. I, I need to watch The Mandalorian. But luckily, it's only going to be 35 minutes, so I'll just be, I'll, I'll squeeze it in. 50 fucking eight minutes! Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, it's Noah a Noah Clure? And I shook my fist in anger at Noah Clure. But it starts oh. brilliantly, like the dogfight sequence is amazing, and actually it's quite jarring to go from that, which is like peak bow action, jar jarring, it, 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 <laughs> to go straight from that to suddenly Dr. Pershing, you're like, because on the previously on, we'd seen Pershing in there, it's like, why are we seeing Pershing? Who gives a fuck about Dr. Pershing? And it's a Pershing episode, but for all the reasons you mentioned, it sucks you in, because it feels like an episode of Andor, like, because it's kind of, is quite real, it's not quite as... I'd say that the edges are a lot blunter than Andor. 
but it has that same texture to it. It's not in its rush to get anywhere. It's not trying to be big or exciting. And actually, it deals with very adult themes. It's got big mm -hmm. Operation Paperclip energy. Like the whole thing's like, what do it you does. do with these scientists at the end of the war? And what is really Pershing's motivation? Mm. Genuinely, like he's trying to convince himself, am I doing this because it's the right thing to do, the right thing to do? Or am I doing this because I'm a basically a, a, a bad and so, like, from a morality point of view, I think it's actually very similar to the Nazi scientist thing, where for them it's all about the science and the advancements of science and mm -hmm. the ethics of it, the morality of it, just don't factor in. I don't think the ethics... He seems to be, like, genuinely, like, he talks about doing stuff for the New Republic, but I think all he cares about is the work, like, the, the ramifications mm -hmm. and of it almost irrelevant it's all for him about the progress about the work and i thought that is a really adult theme ideas like the rehabilitation program the reintegration institute really ominous sounding things and this is the new republic not the empire and so i, I thought oh look weighty adult themes we are in proper andor territory here yeah and then of course you know the endless bureaucracy and the the the, the facelessness of the world that he's in yeah, the droid that he talks to is every bureaucrat. It's the computer says no thing, isn't it? It's every call yeah. center, every automated, you know, helpline you've ever called. It's the droid that just won't engage with him on any kind of human yeah. level. It's just no, no, no. That their humanity has been stripped from them, that none of them have, uh, are using yeah. their real names. It's L52 or G68 yeah. or... Yeah. It's a really interesting question, though, isn't it? Like, what happened to them after the fall of the Empire? Like, because they wouldn't stick them all in gulags. Like, what did they do with all the kind of like the imperial middle management? And now we know. Mm. Those um, scenes with the droid, like the sort of questioning scenes, really reminded me of Severance, where like mm. they have to go in and they have like that therapy session, and they sort of ask these kind of numbing questions. Room. And yeah, yeah, I was I was really getting that from it. It is, it was considering how last time I was on this pod, we were saying how Mandor's a bit more broader and just kind of like fun and yeah. adventure and. It's yeah, it really, really went in a different way for this one, but I, I quite liked it for that. I think James is right in that you know the opening, what five ten minutes that that incredible action sequence, you know, it, it puts a lot of goodwill in the bank, doesn't it, to get you through the next thirty thirty five minutes with these characters that you don't really have a connection to. Uh, obviously, you've seen them before, uh, Pershing in, in particular, but not Katie uh, M O'Brien's character, whose name we absolutely remember. Yeah, and that's why you need to. Do, that's why you need to recap. Never skip yep. the recap of these things. Yeah, never skip like, the recap. Oh, oh, so she's going to be in this episode. Then okay, yes, because I totally remember her. Uh, and I think that I think that the the episode itself was was really interesting, and I love the fact that you know they now feel nineteen chapters in and they can take these swings. And of course, it's not dissimilar to what they did in Book of Boba Fett either, where it's just you know, which is uh, you know where suddenly they they stop it being a Boba Fett show and they started being a Mando show and they focus on Mando instead for, for a couple of episodes before going back uh, to the, to the main, the main story. Uh, and that one, uh, uh -huh. it's a, it's a little bit like that here. My only quibbles here were that it felt a little bit too glacially paced in terms of setting up a relationship between Pershing and Aliyah Kane, communications officer, L52 and G68. Also, it felt fairly obvious that, she was going to be a, oh, God, a baton yes. in some way. A miles uh, away. Yeah. But it, but what I quite liked about it was that it didn't feel like a Mandalorian episode. It felt like a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, right down to the kind of twist ending, this horribly dark twist ending where you have a man's brain be basically being fried at the end of it. It just felt like a little cautionary tale, if you will. But also, we're going to obviously have to find out more because we don't quite understand what her angle is. And it's What's not like they're going to leave it there. So, like, what did he do that pissed her off so dramatically when they were both on Moff Gideon's ship? I think she's still working for Gideon, isn't she? 
This is what I was going to say. Um, you know she's a bad and you know there's something going on, but you don't quite know why. I assumed that she was still sort of working for Gideon. She was still part of his, you know, still believing in him or whatever he was, he was, you know, touting. And she was going to kind of use whatever Pershing's work was to deliver it back to Gideon or sort of steal something from him. And like she, I, I did not see it coming that she was working with them. So it still felt like a surprise to me. And then I was like, is she with Moff Gideon or is she just really twisted and just <laughs> just wants to watch the world burn and, I don't know, fry people's brains out? Um, I don't know. So it, it still felt surprising, that ending to me. But but she bought him a photon fizzle. I you know. know. Did it mean nothing to her? And I then the relationship the fizzled out. Yeah, it did. <laughs> when they were wandering around what was like fucking Coruscant's equivalent of the Magic Kingdom. Like, I don't recall Coruscant feeling quite so much like Disneyland, right down to the Disneyfied version of John Williams that you hear playing in the background. Fucking really? mad. Yeah. I didn't hear that bit. But I, I love that. I love anything that that deepens our our understanding of, of the world. Coruscant may be my favourite Star Wars planet. I mean, it makes no no sense, and the pollution would be horrendous. I thought they probably <laughs> they probably figured out a way to get around that. But I love little things like the highest mountain in Coruscant is there, and you can touch the top of it, which means that you must be what thousands of feet in the air, which then again raises lots of questions about air quality and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, that, let's not get into that. Let's not get into that. And I love that. That's such a wonderful sci-fi notion. You can reach out and touch the top of a mountain, but it's in this massive planet-wide cityscape. I, I yeah, I thought I thought that stuff, those little touches of photon fizzle, the mountain, all that stuff, learning a little bit more about Coruscant and how it works. Uh the Johnny the Johnny Cab style robot driving him around the place. Chef's kiss to those things. But I I thought that she was and I think she is working for Gideon in some respect. He's been mentioned twice now. Uh, which is very much, you know, when when Poochie's not on screen, the lead characters must all be talking about Poochie. It feels a little bit like that. But I, I think he's gonna be set up to come back at some point in in the show. I actually did think at one point he was going to be revealed on the Star Destroyer. That, you know, whenever there was lots of clunking around on the Star Destroyer and they were going, oh, what is that noise? I thought the door was going to open and it was going to be Gideon going, now you must work for me again because huh. I've escaped for reasons. But it wasn't that. <laughs> I thought it was going to be Mando and Bo. <laughs> like, it was going to connect the two things and because he was like, we'll go somewhere, they'll never find oh, us. Yeah. And he was going to like... I don't know. I was wrong. I was very wrong. We're going to go thought, to Coruscant oh. and hide inside a Star Destroyer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Star Wars new, but I don't know what I'm talking about. I just thought, oh, maybe this is where Mando's coming in. My question is the beginning. Like I, I at the end of this episode, rewound to the beginning because it felt like when Pershing is addressing what looks like the Senate, like... Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's just I don't know. Maybe it's just it's, it's like a small. It's like uh, it's like Trinity like, Theatre or something. It's like know? a TED talk. It's like yeah. TED talk. Like when he was doing that, I was like, is, was that a dream sequence? Because I couldn't work out how. Because he seems quite sort of self-aggrandizing, talking about his work and genetics and stuff, and everyone's going, oh, you're so fabulous, you're brave, you're so wonderful, and then you realize he's not a name, he's a number, and he's doing a meaning meaningless kind of Cyril-esque and/or data entry job. So why is he giving a TED talk at the beginning? And I was like, this, this, those two things, st I still can't quite fit them together. That's a good point. Yeah, because then he's just Mr. Anonymous yeah, Cubicle he's Worker. he's nobody. And why, are, why does he have groupies that? and fans? It's, it's mad. That's interesting. Yeah. I always thought like it was going to be, I thought, did I miss a like four days earlier or something at the beginning? So I was going back to try and work out how, but no, it just cut straight to him in the taxi. So it's clearly not supposed to be a fantasy sequence. So I don't, I don't know what's happening there. Do all the new Amnesty recruits have to give like a little speechify and about why they're there and what they were doing? And <laughs> we're very sorry and 
I don't know. Because he was quite new, right? Because the guy said, oh, you're, you're new. So, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's like a rite of passage for everyone that comes. Yeah, it's like those things where you, uh, you, you go to an office or you go to one of those away days, those terrible away days and with other people from other magazines and other outlets and suddenly you have to introduce yourself. Well, my name's Chris and <laughs> this is my job title and this is what I do and oh God, kill me. It might be one of that. Only one of those, only his is, is a little bit more exaggerated in terms of he has an audience of thousands. I thought initially that she was going to try and kill him at that point. It was going to be some mm. sort of Day of the Jackal-esque assassination attempt, but... I guess it is ultimately, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. But can I can I talk about the process there? It's like, hi, we've just put him in this brain thing. We're all going to fuck off on a tea break now. And just leave him entirely unattended. That's not dodgy yeah. at all, really, is it? Hey, G sixty eight. What happened? His brain go fried. I don't know. I don't know. I was just here. I didn't touch this knob, which is just says death written on it. I didn't, didn't go near that. When she was like, he relapsed, but he's still a friend. Oh, so you want to watch your friend's brain get rotted? And yes, yeah. Also, it was called the Mind Flayer, which was obviously big Stranger Things vibes. Uh, I know yeah. it's called. It's literally called a fucking Mind Flayer. I mean, it had strong energy Andor energy of that that moment in Andor where where Bix is tortured with the screams of the dying children. So it was it was a little yeah. bit like that, you know, yeah. uh, like Joe Hallenbach play some rap music. It, it felt a little bit, <laughs> a little bit like that. Although I did love the fact that they had time for him to look at a Mon Calamari and go, "It was a trap," which I thought was <laughs> lovely. <laughs> uh, so Noah Clure, who is credited with co-writing this episode, uh, he must be part of the staff. He must be. I guess he was. He was credited on the book of Boba Fett as being staff writer. Uh, and he it must be he must have paid his dues on that show and he has been rewarded with co-author status on this episode um one of the very few times that fabs hasn't had a sole writing credit on any of these shows book of boba fett or indeed mandalorian which uh, which i thought was was interesting it has a different flavor though doesn't it like it mm. does feel like a it had completely different texture to to what's come before mandalorian so it doesn't doesn't surprise me at all did he work on Andor? He didn't. Not according to this. He has worked on things like uh, Alien Christmas, which was a TV special in 2020, and a whole bunch of short films, um, including something called Sleigh Bells, which is another Christmas-related short. So clearly he's got a thing for Christmas. Um, yeah, The Mandalorian. He was writer's assistant on the last season of The Mandalorian. And he... Oh, he's... I think he's been an assistant to Favs for a while. So this may be one of those things that he's been under Favs's wing for, for a while and now he is he's learning to fly yeah. all on his lonesome. Maybe he wrote Let Me Buy You a Photon Fizzle. Maybe he wrote that line. <laughs> which has replaced a fast Mandalorian as my favorite <laughs> Atlanta dialogue God. in this season so far. I'm obviously not one to really ever gloat, but I did tell you that he fell. What a klutz. He did fall. You're absolutely right. He is an absolute idiot. Yeah. yeah he fell he in. Fell. He fell in to the sacred waters of whatever they're called, the living waters of Mandalore. In fairness, Bo-Katan then does say, well, there, there must have been some seismic activity because yes. usually it's not that deep. Well, that's why the mythosaur's there, right? The seismic activity is obviously opened up. Where, because the mythosaur hasn't been there the whole time they've been mining there. Interesting she keeps it to herself. Is that because she mm. like it, there's relevance to it? Because it feels like there might be, or is it because she's like, am I going crazy? Uh, no, I, couldn't... I think she's, she's hiding there for some reason. She's got also, an angle. She has an angle. Do you notice that every 
episode of this season so far has ended on a shot of Bo-Katan. Mm. I did. Which I think, interesting. Which I think is is interesting. Someone's going to write. I'm probably wrong about that because I've only seen these. <laughs> what episodes are you talking once, about, Chris? But it does feel like in the first in the first episode, the first chapter when Mando and Grogu leave, it ends on a kind of well, certainly they're leaving Bo-Katan's mm. palace. R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, suffers the same fate as the Razor Crest. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> quite as broken up though. I wasn't planning to buy a Lego set of Bo-Katan's castle. I was planning to buy a Razor Crest. I still could. I technically, uh, you know. And then second season, second one last week, it's it's on her as she drags him out of the water. And then this week, it's it's very much her like coming to terms with we, a fork in a road for her. Yeah, as she's well. just joined a cult. So she's like, "How the fuck did that happen?" <laughs> uh, yeah. It's interesting because I had I had clocked that she hadn't taken her helmet off, and I had also yes. clocked that she'd been in the water. So I was like, "Wonder it's because it's odd because normally she takes her helmet off every five minutes, just but, frizzy uh, hair. That's why she does. Yeah, she that's what it is. <laughs> she's like, I've got helmet hair. I'm not taking this no, off I'm not now. Doing that. So until she takes it off, she's she's in the cult." I wonder if that was. Um, I wonder if she has her own team, her own like Mandalorian team, like like Pedro does as well. So you think it's you know, just Katie Sackoff had you know another job? So. She sacked it off, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and she was just like <laughs> Katie sacked off, and then she was like, "Yeah, I'll 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 just I'll dial it in. I'll do the ADR. Totally yeah. fine. No worries." Do you think either Pedro Pascal or Katie Sackhoff were on set of this <laughs> of this episode at any point? I mean... Yes or no? What's what are the odds? Five Never tell me the odds. <laughs> I need to believe that Pedro is doing stuff. I need to believe that he's there for me to still be interested. He I is. thought it was he intriguing is. that at the end, I kind of expected Bo-Katan to sort of like immediately disavow being part of the Creed and just take the helmet straight off and just really rebel against it. And I couldn't tell whether she was like, had another thing, another agenda, or whether yeah. she was felt, or whether it felt good for her to be part of a a community again like i couldn't tell how she was feeling about it because the helmet was on <laughs> but yeah you got both haven't you because her home has been bombed so she's basically now homeless so this this gives her somewhere to hang out oh no but also my, bear in my mind, seat where am i gonna sit that i sit upon like king conan <laughs> with my helmet center. upon a troubled brow <laughs> yeah, the civic center's gone uh i know but also bear in mind she lost all her little mando militia they all abandoned her so now maybe she has another mando militia she can call upon to go and you know retake mandalore so do you think because the episode's called the convert right so we think that that is going that that is set up the entire episode that you think it's going to be set it's going to be about oh Dr. Pershing and yeah. it's going to be about him converted to you know this is the way you know the the, the way of the new republic but it might be an ironic reference to yeah. Bo-Katan who now might see her chance to as you say take over this covert oust the armorer oust Mando and use her kind of and start getting into the heads or the helmets of all the other <laughs> Mandalorians and recruit them to her side so she can go back and retake Mandalore. Now she knows that it's it's okay again and there's mythosaurs and all sorts of stuff. So maybe it makes sense. Maybe so she's she's working this angle. To be fair, the armor is just annoying me a bit now, I think. She's just always talking in hoity-toity phrases. <laughs> hoity-toity. Making decisions. <laughs> I know, but I do love that she has a uh, a living water verification device. That, <laughs> yeah, two-factor authentication know. on the living water, maybe. What is that? Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that Mando rocks up with, like, he goes, I have bathed in the living waters. And they're like, prove it. And he holds up a <laughs> file of fucked? water. 
he heals up a vial of water and is like, mate, look behind you. There's literally a fucking ocean. Like, oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. But this, I'm telling you, it's from the living waters. I got it next to Nando's near the Civic Center. Okay, all right, go on then. And then she pours it in and it goes, wibbly, 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 wibbly. And then, yeah. It wasn't living water. It was actually Nando's Peri Peri Gravy, which is the best thing that Nando's <laughs> yes. do. And they only do it for a limited time, which really upsets me. Peri Peri Gravy, you say? I have never heard of this thing. Is this only oh. in the North? Are you sure about this? No. Or are you, I know are that you talking sounds... about Peronese? No, that sounds like a Northern made up thing. I understand, but it's not. Peri Gravy, <laughs> Nando's do it and it's gravy, but it's like tinged with the Peri Peri sauce. It's delicious. I think they do it at Christmas time and it's great and... Why? If I could bathe Why in the living waters of Nando's Perry Gravy, then I think I would. <laughs> I've, I've got to be honest with you. I've got to be honest with you. I know this is a more adult episode of The Mandalorian, but I do not need to see Mando's Perry Perry Gravy. I'm just drawing a line right there. <laughs> would you know that? I'd love to bathe in, in Mando's Perry Perry Gravy. That would be tremendous. <laughs> mm. This is delicious. This is, this is not Macho the way. Macho peas? Yes, this please. Is not the way. Mm. That's how I spend all my tongs days. Uh, or is it dongs days? Anyway. Oh, dear. Come on. Come on, guys. Come on. (laughs) I'm going to apply for amnesty housing immediately. (laughs) Anyway, anyway. uh, Yes, I I thought the the bookends to this were really, really interesting. Great, great battle, as you say, at the beginning of the episode. Uh, And then what is Bo-Katan up to at the end? Mm. Hopefully you're right. Hopefully you're right, Soph, and she'll oust the armorer. Mm. I am with Sophie on this. The armorer is getting quite tedious. Yeah. Yeah, more a of a bit tedious. And her fur shoulders and it's all a bit much. Yeah, just roll out some kind of dense, impenetrable, generalized platitude and then wander off to fuck about with your forge. It's just like honestly, <laughs> yeah. what does she do when no one's there? Why is she even forging? Same thing with Bo Katan. Bo Katan's just titting around all day on her fucking <laughs> throne and now you know the armor is just going, Oh And how come the armorer is in charge of all the Mandalorians? Yeah, when when did that who was she democratically think, elected i don't i don't yeah, know it's unclear what the hierarchy is there and why you know the local blacksmith is the leader because she talks like this and she commands yes. authority Real executive power is derived from a mandate from the masses not from some farcical aquatic ceremony uh anyway a <laughs> uh, couple of things about the episode i really really love before we, we have a handful of questions this week because i didn't actually put a shout out on Twitter um, for questions but I love that Pershing whenever she's basically getting into fur dodge on the train and then he jumps off the train he, he says to her I've never done anything like this mate you were involved in an imperial sanctioned <laughs> evil cloning program I think <laughs> this pales in comparison you to abducted you and were going to kill did. a child <laughs> yes <laughs> like what the hell oh no I draw the line I draw the line of fur dodging fur dodging oh. no <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, I like the Goodfellas reference where he goes as far back as I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, presumably, I the, always wanted to be a scientist. <laughs> I always wanted to be a eugenicist. Uh, presumably, that was the next line. Anything else you want to say about this episode uh, before we take some listener questions? There's a Galophomimus, Galophosaurus, Galophosaurus. What's the what's the what's the you know the dinosaur, the one the spitty dinosaur. What's it called? Dilophosaurus? Dilophosaurus, that's it. Not a Galophosaurus or a Galophomimus. Yeah, it's a Dilophosaurus. Do you remember like, the, the street magician? When they're walking through Coruscant Disneyland, a street magician pulls out a Star Wars Dilophosaurus. A little mini one. Magic set out of dinner. Oh, I must have missed that. Either that or it was hallucinating. It's one or the other. I think we should call them Galophosauruses going on, though, because that... <laughs> yes, they definitely call them a Galophosaurus. <laughs> it's a better name. It is. It's, it's vastly superior. 
at Curator John on Twitter uh, wants wants to be known that he came up with a pun, the Andorlorian, <laughs> at 9.24am. And he says, God, I hope I'm first with this pun. I also want a job at the Galactic Museum. Fair. Absolutely fair. Andorlorian. I just went with me. Mandor. Sorry. See, I went with Mandor as well. It is my name on the, uh, oh, on the thing. It? Oh, wait. No, it isn't. It got changed back to Lex Luthen, which was my name on no, the no, previous podcast Mandor. we recorded. It says Mandor. Does it? Yeah, it says Lex says Mandor. for me. Mandor, Soph Katan, and Top Gun Mandoic. <laughs> Listen, that's great. I'm really proud of that, actually. It took me all the three seconds. <laughs> oh, Top Gun Mandoic. Yes. For the oh, prologue. I see what you've done there. Okay, mm. that's, that's very, very clever. She does very, a maverick maneuver when she. Sl- I'll hit the brakes, they'll fly right by. Except I'll hit the brakes, <laughs> then I'll turn around and shoot them in the face. Is actually what she <laughs> I feel like a lot of the in between bit, though, when they were. Marching around Coruscant, a lot of that's blurring for me, and I've literally just watched the episode. Hey, look, she won him over with Imperial issue Ritz crackers, and you know I respect that. Do love a Ritz cracker? Do love it? She cracker. wins him over with snacks, and I think that's that's <laughs> entirely accurate. And would one hundred percent work on me. Biscuit, yeah. whatever it is, and she's eating the biscuit. Brought me with snacks. Cruel. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think? I mean, those biscuits can't be that good. Apparently, they are. They can't be that good. They didn't look that good. Oh, they look pretty good. They, they have they a golden honeycomb quality. I thought they looked lovely. Give me an Imperial Bix. Bix Kaleen. So there you go, it's an Andor crossover. Bix. Weetabix. I think uh, we were kind of talking about, um, last time I was on, about how this sort of connects to like the sequel films and stuff like that. Do you think that this insight into the New Republic is kind of um, sort of laying the way for how... Um, is it the First Order in the sequels? It is. Look, look there at me, go. my Star Wars words. Um, is it, is <laughs> it kind Star of... Wars on. <laughs> is it laying the groundwork for how the New Republic becomes twisted into this thing? Is it them starting to connect the two, do we think? Well, it's not the New Republic that gets twisted into the First Order. The First Order comes from beyond the Outer Rim uh, and sort of okay. invades New Republic space and essentially fucks the New Republic over, is my understanding of the, the mythology right. of it. Okay. Uh, we never it never gets explored properly in the films where they come from. From but mm. if memory serves, they like <laughs> Palpatine because somehow Palpatine has returned. <laughs> uh, it involves going off to the outer rim and then coming back with all these ships, and it's like a whole thing. Oh, okay. Understood. I think. I think it's it all. It's very very hazy to me. I thought I I remember looking into this stuff when I thought they were going to make a third sequel film, but then they never did. So I uh, I, I never really needed to use it. <laughs> Journey of the Wills and all that sort of stuff. Indeed. Where there's a wills, there's a way. Where there's a wills, there's a way. Uh, Let me see. Mando time. Official Major K uh, says, I'm really getting an Andor vibe in the Coruscant scenes. More deeper dialogue and reflection. Same kind of lighting and overall feel. Was that your impression as well? But yes. Uh, But do you think this is a deliberate choice to make both shows feel connected to make The Mandalorian incorporate some of the Andor approach towards the Star Wars universe i don't think so that's my personal opinion i don't i hate people say that's my personal opinion of course it's your personal opinion it's you speaking (laughs) uh it's my opinion that that's not the case because we've been led to believe that skeleton crew for example is even more kitty friendly than mandalorian and i just think there's an acceptance I might be wrong about this completely and the next season of andor might be (laughs) might have the same tone as this all of a sudden i might get heavily retconned but I get the sense that there's an acceptance at Lucasfilm and at Disney that 
Andor is his own thing and is mm. off doing his own thing and, and mm-hmm. plowing his own furrow and, and, and having its own vibe. And I don't think, I don't think it made as big a cultural impact, uh, you know, as great as it is. And I've now seen it all and I think it's great. But as great as it is, I don't think it, it moved the, the needle significantly culturally in the way that the Mando did or even the Book of Boba Fett did. Um, and so I don't think that there would be a, a rush to replicate Andor. I don't think it's like they're not going, oh, all, all the kids are into Andor. This is what they want. So let's make the Mandalorian. Yeah. Let's, let's retrofit it to so that's it now feels a bit like Andor. I don't think that's the case at all. And Andor's not going to be as popular as The Mandalorian because yeah. it's, it's, it's aimed at a small... Andor is aimed at Star Wars fans of a certain age. You know, that's, that seems to be that's largely the target audience for it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a little bit broader than that, but this has a much bigger reach, I would say, than Andor. And Disney are all about the, uh, you know, the Republic credits. So Yeah, I can't see a lot of toys being shifted from this episode of The Mandalorian. <laughs> I want my Pershing. Pershing with biscuit add-on. Pershing with brain fried. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can wear the helmet. <laughs> Yeah, mind, mind flay Pershing. Pershing. Yeah, nobody is anyone going to buy a Dr. Pershing action figure at all? Sophie, would you buy an, a Dr. Pen Pershing action figure? I can't say that I would. Ben Travis might. What if it came with uh, a photon fizzle? Yeah, Ben would. Ben's already got the, the Funko Pop, <laughs> <laughs> the bottomized Pershing. Yeah. Just nods its head constantly. <laughs> I would try one of those little glowing uh, Solero lollies, look quite nice. I'd buy one of those if they started selling them. They did look quite nice. I wonder, if, I, I, I did find myself wondering what they were eating during that. Were they eating anything or was it just basically a green stick that would be replaced afterwards? Yeah. Perhaps Jet Lucas, one of the visual effects coordinators on this show, can come on and tell us that. Um, <laughs> that would be interesting. I think they're not making good use of resources. I'm saying the New Republic has an uphill struggle. They're rebuilding after the Empire. You know, So what are they doing with all of this Imperial tech? They're junking it. I think there's a better use for a Star Destroyer than junking it. Fuck knows if I had one, I wouldn't break it up. If you had one, then it wouldn't matter about the tube strikes, would it? If we all had one. Very true. Unlimited power. <laughs> Unlimited power. Uh, B Grand Andy, and this is a question that's literally just popped into my inbox. Uh, Every time Liss or Andor gives us a lovely bit of universe building, do we move further away from, ah, fuck it, you're Palpatine's granddaughter now, and thus repairing a hole in all our hearts? <laughs> oh, God, never mentioned that to me. We were just talking about Palpatine, weren't we, uh, in the Andor spoiler special that we have just recorded before this. And we were, we were saying that, you know, I'd be quite intrigued slash excited by an appearance from Palpatine in season two of Andor, because I think that Ian McDermott is a talented enough actor to make that tonal shift work in a way that Mon Mothma can move between Return of the Jedi and Rogue One and and, and Andor. And obviously Cassian Andor can move between Rogue One and Andor as well, although those are a little bit more tonally enmeshed. But I think that I think that Palpatine can, but I don't think he will. And the reason why he's not is presumably because Palpatine is fucking right now. He's going to be. He's he's just busy. He's just yeah. busy fucking. That's yeah. what he's doing right now, twenty four seven or maybe twenty five seven. Because who knows how time works uh, <laughs> on a Tongs day. On a Tongs day, <laughs> so, <laughs> who knows? It's all gone peak Tongs day. Maybe Tongs day <laughs> is date night for Palpatine. Every it week is. on Tongs it day. It is. Yep. 
yeah, hot, hot, big Palpatine energy uh, emerging <laughs> on a, on a Tongs day when this when this Senate office is rocking. Don't come a knocking. That is for sure. <laughs> oh my word! Uh, anything else you want to say about this episode? Um, <laughs> it is it is it's an odd one, isn't it? Like it's it's it doesn't move on. I guess the overall storyline massively except in the prologue and the epilogue like this middle bit i think is sowing the seeds for something and i'm interested to see where your old former comms officer whose name i absolutely remember uh where g68 sure where her arc is going you know where is gideon like because he's presumably in prison somewhere else right like he i don't see him being in the uh in the rehabilitation programming and, and ending up in amnesty housing i see him in the equivalent of like guantanamo bay so um, you know, what's going on there? How does this all tie together? Will this, because we've got these two strands, haven't we? We've got the uh, bow strand, which is involving Mandalore, and then we've got where's Gideon? What's going on here? How are these things going to tie together? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That we, we very rarely, in The Mandalorian, we very rarely cut away to Gideon, like we do from time to time. But most of the time, we're with our heroes. Yeah. And then when we happen across the baddie, he's just, he's a threat to be dealt with. I think it's very interesting that they've 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 held him back this season. Now it's entirely possible that he is no longer the the bad guy of the show, but it also feels to me like he he is, unless Bo-Katan yeah. is the the baddie of the show hiding in plain sight. Perhaps. She's suddenly eyeing the dark saber. So she is, but as you know, James, she was of course his former owner. That's true, but she's also she's she's displayed, she would say, sort of mild megalomaniacal tendencies. She seems to be quite big on ruling everyone. And the idea of her family ruling Mandalore, so I feel like she could turn to the to the metaphorical, not literal, dark side quite easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, mm, indeed, we shall see. Indeed, in chapter twenty, a, a big chapter coming up next week. Who is going to write it? Who is going to direct it? Well, these are questions we we will have answered in a week or so. It does feel strange that we have recorded our shortest episode of the of the season so far uh, on the longest episode. But it, it you know, otherwise, it just felt like they were just walking around Coruscant a lot, having a lovely time, and waiting for the inevitable betrayal that was inevitable because she's evil. I mean, I mean just just she's obviously. evil evil she is obviously evil that was very very telegraphed even that you know even when they're sort of like sitting around in the student housing unit that <laughs> most of this episode takes place in uh which feels very much like halls of residence uh it, i mean she she has big villain energy but then you know what is she because like, at the end we think oh she's working for the new republic except she's not is she's she? not she's definitely not she has her own agenda, that is for sure. Uh, just a couple of last things, real quick. Uh, James, as, a, as an Aliens fan, I believe you've seen that movie once or twice. You must have liked the way that the squadron of TIE fighters appeared on the on the, re- on the radar readout. That was very, that was very <laughs> Five much Five meters, man, four, yeah. what the hell? It was very uh, much yes. they're in the room. You're not reading it right. <laughs> that can it's... beat it's inside the room. Uh, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I, but just loving that the howl of the TIE fighters, the distinct sound of their lasers. I, we don't get enough Imperial livery in the show, for obviously for good narrative reasons. But I liked having a swarm of TIE interceptors come come in. That was great. Uh, it's, it made me realise how much I've missed like proper classic Star Wars dogfighting. Yeah, Amando faffing around blowing things up and oh he styled that out brilliantly jumps out the ship falls down engages the jetpack at the last second hops in the fighter and just jets off the launch pad just before he can get lit up that was that was nice i mean yeah. you know tom cruise has got it but fucking he couldn't have pulled that off 
a memorable day in the armour for Pedro Pascal that was <laughs> yeah, that is for sure <laughs> it might have been Tom Cruise in the armour <laughs> might have yeah. been who knows uh, and then the last question comes from Nat L42 um, we've tackled this already but she's had the good courtesy to to actually send us in a question when I asked for one is the New Republic is it just me or, or the New Republic a bit dystopian with all the mind washing and numbers not names mm. malarkey Deliberately so, I would say. I so. think they were Indeed. asking very pointed questions there about, you know, second verse, same as the first. Uh, when they're mm-hmm. sticking them in there, it's, oh, no, it's very therapeutic. It's a bit like mindfulness as we attach him to the mind flayer and <laughs> electrocute his brain. Yes. Like, right, yes, yes, that's lovely, enlightened uh, behaviour. <laughs> yes, we've rebranded it. <laughs> it's like, the, uh, but don't, don't, don't. Wave that at me. That's a bum stabber. No, no, no. It's not a bum stabber. It's a That's a, butter. <laughs> it's a tip over. No, it's not that, sir. No, absolutely not. Not whatsoever. Uh, like, it's fine in Law Dorses, but, but it's fine the amount Dorses. that she was turning that dial, it just kept, 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 kept going. So it's only fine in like the very lowest dose, but like you can turn it up. You think some tap. kind of inhibitor to stop it going yeah, that high you'd, might you'd be prudent? Think- I'm just saying. It would have made the dial a bit smaller. I don't know. Apparently not. Yeah. Do you think we'll see Pershing again, or will he be? Is he basically now, uh, to quote Frank Drebin in yeah. Naked Gun, uh, he, basically he's a drilling vegetable? Yeah. Uh, is he? Is, <laughs> is, that, is that his fate? I think he's done. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. But we'll get more of her. Uh, Nat L42 also says it's ambiguous with regards to who's good or bad, whether it's the people in charge in the New Republic or the various Mandalorian sects. Which isn't because we've been we've been inclined to side with Bo Katan, haven't we? In terms of yeah. the the creed, in terms of the the indoctrination of Mando, mm. um, but and I'm not saying that their way is the way, and I don't think for a second that she's actually buying into their their rhetoric. But uh, it it might be it might be interesting to see what happens with the next couple of episodes. But again, I think she's trying to. Um, convert them from within. She's probably thought, listen, they've been brainwashed once. <laughs> Why can't it happen again? Oh, she's going to use them 100%. Yeah. Mm. When she saw Paz Fizzler, she was just like, yep, I need I need that guy on my side because he's a <laughs> fucking tank. Now, aren't we glad that they fought off that big crocodile and kept their cave? Because where else could they have gone? <laughs> Imagine if he'd come back and they, they were all gone and the, just a very, very, very sated crocodile just on the, on the very shore. Very sleepy crocodile yeah. just lying Burping. there belching loudly. Yeah. <laughs> With his face stuck in the cave. Because he... <laughs> Cleaning his teeth with Paz Paz Fizzler's <laughs> backpack. Ah, yes. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Mandalorians completed them, mate. Completed them. Uh, right. I think that's it. I think we have exhausted the possibility of this episode. It's entirely possible we haven't, but uh, I think that is it. Sorry, it was so short compared to the episode, but but there you go. It's just people walking around talking. Ooh, who wants to see that? Boring. <laughs> Join us next time for more Mando-related <laughs> fun when hopefully Grogu will get to do something more exciting than just coo cutely. Although, again, that was enough to sate Ben for a week or so. Uh, anyway, it's time to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Soph Katan. Soph Katan. Of the clan. Of the clan Katan. Goodbye, Sophie. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye for now. Bye bye. Bye for now. Uh, and it's goodbye from Top Gun Mandawick. You could be my ex-wing man anytime, James Dyer. Thank you. My fallback would have been Pershing Daisies now that he's, you know. Oh, but he's not not dead. I mean, he might be dead. I think he's, you know, he's in a bad way. He's in a bad way, but he's still, he's still, he's still fit enough to launch his own podcast. (laughs) 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 
oh, Dr. Podshine, that's what's going to happen. And it's goodbye <laughs> from me, Mandor. Do you see what I did there? Do you yes. see what I did there? I mm. do. Yes. Photon fizzles all round. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye bye. 